Ben said, oldie but goodie, I thought he was calling me up to the stage. (laughs) (laughs) Scripture reading for this morning is taken from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is God's word. You may be seated. At the beginning of the assembly, you had an opportunity to see the baptism of two of our, our kiddos, and uh, that, that invitation to, to become a child of God is always open, and at the end of our sermon, we're going to sing an invitation song, and if you've been thinking about making that same sort of decision, we're going to have some of our shepherds down here at the front to talk to you about that, and we would encourage you to, to, to be thinking about that, and if you have been thinking about it and have decided, don't delay. Uh, the time today is is, is, is ripe with opportunity for you to enjoy not just the forgiveness of your soul, but to enjoy eternal life beginning even today. And uh, that is going to be at the end of the sermon. We're going to offer everyone here an invitation to make that, that, same, that same dedication to Christ. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. We're going to be talking about the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to be talking again about the Golden Rule. And let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we are always thankful, always thankful for your word and the power of that word to penetrate our hearts and at times to convict us of changes that we need to make, other times of convicting us of the rightness of the path that we have chosen to walk. And we pray, Father, that in this moment your word be powerful like that, that two-edged sword, that living two-edged sword that divides our, our, our thoughts and our souls and, and, and convicts us, Father, of the greatness of your kingdom. And so to this end, we pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. For we seek to be not just people who believe, but people who in their belief have become disciples of your son Jesus, living a life that is profoundly changed because of that word and because of the grace that you give us through Christ. To this end, Father, we ask this blessing in the name of Jesus and all the church said. In the text that that Bill read just a minute ago, uh, one of the key words that stands out is the word opportunity. Uh, One definition of opportunity goes like this. An opportunity is a set of circumstances that make it possible to do something, to get something accomplished. There is an opportunity, the circumstances are right, something can happen. A set of circumstances that makes it possible to do something. But here's the thing about opportunities. They're not always easy to see. In fact, a lot of opportunities are camouflaged in doubt and in risk. And so sometimes opportunities are not the easiest things in the world to spot. So I take you to 1967, a missionary by the name of Doug Nichols doing mission work in India. He contracted tuberculosis, was committed to a sanitarium for several months, and in that tuberculosis sanitarium, Doug found himself lonely, is the only American, 
It was confusing. It was a troubled place. He did not know the language of the other patients, but he wanted to share the good news of Jesus with others. Now, Doug had in the sanitarium a few gospel tracts, and it was in their language, Parsi, and he tried to pass them out, but nobody wanted them. Then one night, because of his own illness, at 2 o'clock in the morning, he wakes up, and he's coughing so hard that it, you know, it wakes him up. He can't catch his breath, and he feels that you know, he's, he's never going to be able to breathe again. But while he's doing that, he notices a little old emaciated man across the aisle trying to get out of bed. But because he is atrophied in his strength and his muscles and because of his own difficulties in breathing, he is so weak that he cannot stand up. And Doug Nichols says that he laid back down in the bed and he began to whimper. And he tried again, but to no avail. And in the morning, Doug realized what the problem was. He had been trying to get up to use the bathroom and had failed. And the stench in the ward was terrible. The other patients were angry at the old man. They made fun of him. The nurse that cleaned, cleaned him up uh, put him back into bed after she had cleaned him up. And then, as sort of a parting gesture, slapped him as hard as she could. And the next night, Doug again is awakened and he sees the old man trying to get out of bed. But this time, Doug Nichols gets out of his own bed. He picks up the old man, carries him to the toilet that is just a hole in the floor, and then he brings him back to his bed. The old man kissed Doug on the cheek and then went to sleep. Doug went to sleep, and when he woke the next morning, he awoke to a steaming cup of tea beside his bed. Another patient who had seen what he had done kindly made it for him, and the patient motioned that he wanted one of those gospel tracts. And the next two days, one after another, as word got around, what Doug had done and how he had treated the, the old man, one by one they began to ask for those tracks. Could I have one of those too? A, a door for the gospel opened up in as unlikely a place as a tuberculosis sanitarium in India because of the golden rule being lived out in the life of this missionary by the name of Doug Nichols. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gets to the end. And he says, this is what it boils down to. In everything, do to others what you would have them do for you. For this sums up both the law and the prophets. And so what is it that Doug Nichols did? Doug Nichols did unto an emaciated and tuberculosis-ridden man what he would have wanted done unto himself if he was in the same position. The golden rule life was the key that unlocked the door for the gospel going into this very unlikely place. And so I want to spend some time, I want to spend one more week considering the golden rule in the life of Jesus' disciples, and we're going to look at it from three angles. First, what it is not, secondly, what it is, and then thirdly, what it does. We begin with this, what it's not. The golden rule is not aphoristic. An aphorism is like a proverbial statement. An aphorism is a pithy observation that contains a general truth. You've heard these all your life, such as, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Actions speak louder than, you've made your bed now, lie in it. All for one and one, all that glitters isn't, you can't fight. <laughs> 
City Hall. <laughs> you can't fight a lot of things. But City Hall, you can't fight. You know what an aphorism is. The, the golden rule is not an aphorism. There is much more going on in the golden rule than just common sense on how to live a good life and to be a decent neighbor. It is so much more than trying to make the world a nicer place. In fact, living a golden rule life can be dangerous by taking you out of your comfort zones. And not everyone can live the golden rule, especially if they treat it like a bumper sticker, a nice sentiment, but, you know, not all that important and nobody can really do it anyway. This is one of the reasons why Jesus gives the golden rule at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which leads us to the second point. The golden rule life is the product of taking the Sermon on the Mount seriously. One of the things that we don't often think about when we think about the Christ is that, that he was smarter than Einstein. That he was the smartest man, most skilled man, the wisest man, the most capable man who ever lived. And what he is describing on the Sermon on the Mount is not just a teaching that we embrace and live as disciples of his, but he is describing his own life, how he lived. And so the Sermon on the Mount is really the product of taking the Sermon on the Mount seriously. Think about what that Sermon on the Mount life is defined, what it looks like. Jesus says that his disciples have dealt with anger and they've dealt with contempt and they've dealt with disdain in their hearts toward other human beings, whether they have insulted you or cheated you or cut you off in traffic. Jesus teaches that his disciples do not objectify human beings, especially sexually. Humans are not commodities of gratification that we throw away when no longer gratifying. Humans are more than one-dimensional. Humans are more than what we can get out of them. Human beings are made in the image of whom? God. Disciples of Jesus know that their words are powerful. And that comes from knowing that the Word of God itself is powerful. When God said something, it happened. And everything that we know, the viable universe, comes into creation. It comes into reality because of God's Word. Disciples know use their, they're to use their words in a wise and godly way, never to manipulate other human beings. Disciples of Jesus love their neighbors and they love their enemies. That's a difficult thing to do. Loving your neighbor is tough enough because you like them. But to love your enemy? But how do you expect to live the golden rule life if you're only loving those that can love you back? Disciples of Jesus, following in the steps of Jesus, know that it takes an enormous amount of, of discipline and time and spiritual maturity and help by the Spirit and practice to know how you love your enemies. Disciples of Jesus pray for those who persecute them. There is a spiritual integrity in the life of a disciple of Jesus. Giving to others is based on God's generosity with us and not the acclaim that we can get in the eyes and in the words of other people. Prayer is a reflection of a true relationship with God. Fasting is a declaration that God is more desired than food itself because man cannot live by bread alone. We fast to say that we need God to sustain us more than we need this sandwich. A disciple's treasure is, is, is always in heaven. A disciple's treasure is never on earth. 
and a disciple judges not. And that's how you live the golden rule. And as all of these elements become more and more a reality in our lives, the more the golden rule becomes a way of life, a way of living. All of these things have taken place inside of our heart, inside of our soul, the anger, the contempt, treating people with disdain, learning how to love people genuinely the way that Christ loves us. All of that takes place inside the the heart and inside of the mind and inside of the soul. And as we live and mature and blossom, it looks like the golden rule on the outside. What Jesus is doing is helping us to see in the golden rule that the golden rule life is the overflow of the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. We've talked from the very beginning that Jesus is correcting the popular understanding of the Law and the Prophets, the Sermon on the Mount. That's why he says in chapter 5, verse 20, that your righteousness has to surpass the scribes and the Pharisees. And as he comes to the summation of the Law and the Prophets, he calls it the golden rule and says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That is what the Law and the Prophets can be summed as saying. And so when we begin to live this kind of a life, church, The golden rule, number three, the golden rule life creates golden opportunities. Why does Paul ask the church in Colossae to be wise in how they live in order to make the most of every opportunity that that comes their way? Because opportunities are precious and they are sometimes camouflaged and they are sometimes hard to see and sometimes it takes a lot of courage to be able to walk through that door. An example is in John 4. Think of Jesus and the Samaritan woman in John, the fourth chapter. Jesus speaks to a Samaritan woman at a well near Sychar in the midday heat. Her life is so troubled that no one in that village thinks that she is an opportunity for anything except maybe getting a bad reputation. And that's one of the reasons why she's drawing water in the middle of the day. She is not welcome with the other women in the cool of the morning or the evening when they would typically go and draw water. And Jesus, when this woman comes, that nobody would give much of anything to be around. Jesus gives the time of day to a woman that no one else would give the time of day for. And he just asks her a question. May I have some water to drink? And that simple question leads to a simple life-changing conversation with this woman. And the disciples come, and at the end of that conversation, they're surprised to see Jesus talking to a woman, and you know how the rest of the story goes. She leaves and heads off to the village to bring them all back to Jesus because she knows that she has found the Messiah. But Jesus has those knuckleheads, the disciples, right there. And he says to them, don't you guys have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, Open your eyes and see, behold, look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. A whole village ripe for the kingdom of God, and they didn't see it. They go to that village, and they come back with Whataburger. She goes to the village, and she comes back with everyone. And the funny thing is, you know, Jonah... Did not see Nineveh, did he? Didn't see the opportunity that, that 
that was in Nineveh for the word of God. And the disciples don't see it at Sychar. The golden rule life creates opportunities for the gospel because it is a life that actively engages the kingdom of God with the world. That's what's happening when you live the golden rule. You're not just trying to make the world a nicer place, even though you'll do that. You're not trying to make it a more pleasant place or a more gentle place or a more kind place, even though that's all byproducts. The golden rule life brings the kingdom of God that is in us near to people in our homes, in our neighborhoods, our schools, our offices, our coffee clutches, our kids' sports teams, sidelines at our kids' sporting events, restaurants, grocery stores, wherever you interact with other human beings, you are bringing the kingdom of God that is in you into intersection with people who are living in this world. The golden rule life is your personal way and one way of breaking the kingdom of God into the world around you. And so what was this last Monday, Monday of this last week? What did we call that? Golden Rule Monday. It was Golden Rule Monday for our church. I asked you to, uh, to send me some of your experiences, which many of you did. Uh, I'm going to share some of them with you right now. Uh, several found that they treated drivers on the road with more patience and kindness and civility. Road rage was at an all-time low. One wrote that Golden Rule Monday actually started on Sunday after church with a messed up to-go order from a local restaurant whose name will not be revealed, but it rhymes with Mill Millers. <laughs> One wrote that he went to his mother's place of employment and publicly thanked her co-workers for the way that they had treated his mom over the years. One wrote that he went to his fiancé's place of work, which is a charitable organization, and gave $5 Chick-fil-A gift cards to the fiancé's fellow employees and thanked them for all their hard work. One called a financial institution and thanked them for the way they had treated this person after this person had totaled their car in a car wreck and it was their fault. Called up the financial institutions, I appreciated the way that you treated them. A mom and son took a 48-hour trip to visit six people in their lives who were either, in their words, advanced in years, hurting, lonely, or widowed. We even had a three-year-old apologize to a rubber ducky after hitting it on the nose. <laughs> you can't start teaching the golden rule life too soon. Most wrote that they found themselves interacting with people in a more positive way, in a more loving way, and in a way that kind of was bringing God into their daily context. And I want to say I, I'm so proud of our church and the effort to be golden rule kinds of people outside the walls of our building. So guess what we're going to do tomorrow? Golden rule Monday one more time. And we are going to use the spiritual disciplines that we have recently been learning about uh, today, I'm going to ask you to, to memorize, if you've not already done it, memorize Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Be able to say it forwards, backwards, start in the middle, go backwards, whatever, but memorize it. And then starting tomorrow morning, we want you to meditate on it. As soon as you get out of bed, start meditating on the words that you're going to be doing something. 
that you're going to be doing something good to somebody because that's what you would want them to do when they're treating you. We want you to meditate on it, to apply it to your day. And then number three, tomorrow morning before you leave the house, pray the scripture. That was one of the disciplines we talked about, right? We're, we're going to pray using Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. You're going to say things in your prayer like, Lord, help me to do unto others as I would have them do to me this day. Lord, help me to see the opportunities to live the golden rule with everybody I encounter today. Or you might say, Lord, help me be creative in golden rule living. Or you might say, Lord, may you be glorified in the way that I live my life, the summation of the Law and the Prophets, in golden rule living. But you're praying the words of Matthew chapter 7, verse 12 to God. And then starting tomorrow morning, we're going to send you uh, the radio spot that airs on ESPN and KTSA on The Golden Life. Uh, we will start using the text messaging uh, uh, on our iPhones tomorrow to, to send you that radio spot. If you do not get it, it should be posted on our, our website and on the app. You can go there and find it, but listen to it. It'll be an encouragement to think about the golden rule. And then at the end of the day, we're going to do, remember, examine. We're going to do that at the end of the day. We're going to think back on how you applied the golden rule to the day and how God was glorified and how perhaps doors of opportunity were opened to you to be able to share the gospel. Now, tomorrow, every one of us will be kingdom-carrying, golden rule-living disciples of Jesus, blessing people all over the San Antonio metropolitan area and opening their eyes to the presence of God in the world. You and I both know that the church at times has created a negative vibe in the mind of many. And there are times when this has been justified and there are times when it isn't. But the real question for us this morning is this. If this church ceased to exist in this city as a representational community of, of God and His will and how He blesses human beings, if if this church ceased to exist after nearly 70 years, would anyone notice? And if they did, would anyone care? I'm here to remind all of us, including myself, that the church, us people, friends, brothers and sisters, the church is a catcher of God's blessings. You're a blessing catcher, and you are a blessing catcher. I'm a blessing catcher, and blessings that come to us, that we catch from every angle. They are blessings that change us. The most important thing to know is that the most important being in the universe loves you. And the most important being in the world sacrifices for you and forgives you and redeems you and draws you near and lives in you. And when you become when this golden rule living person, when you come into the kingdom of God, you begin to be transformed into a big life. Because you are walking in the steps of the one who lived the biggest life of all, and that is Jesus of Nazareth. And people who know how to live as salt and light, doing good deeds in such a way that the reputation of God in the community is enhanced, we do that and God gets the glory. Because it is God who is behind people who know no other way to live than the golden rule. And if a church filled with God-changed, golden rule living people disappears out of a community believe me the community will notice tomorrow is golden rule monday let's live the golden rule and let's give god the glory and right now let's stand and let's sing